Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Asia podcast. I'm Doug Krisner. You can join Brian Curtis and myself for the stories making news and moving markets in the APAC region. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcast and always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal and the Bloomberg Business app. We are looking at the Chinese economy here in detail. We understand that the PBOC is likely to keep cash conditions and monetary policy broadly stable as policymakers focus on the currency. That's uh, the results from a Bloomberg survey that we did of economists. And we're also seeing some encouraging numbers on spending over the Chinese New Year. Joining us now is Jill Desis, Bloomberg's China EcoGov editor, with us live in our studios. So... I reported earlier um, from the Shanghai Security News that and they, they had a look at the Meituan online platform and, and said that consumer spending, daily consumer spending, jumped more than 155 percent uh, from the same period in 2019. So that's important because it's pre-pandemic. And then we have a story out that talks about that as well as some of the official Chinese uh, data saying that 61 million rail trips were made in the first six days of the spring festival. So it sort of gets us to a position, Jill, where we're trying to figure out whether or not, you know, these are the these are the opening numbers here and don't wait too long, but maybe, just maybe, the Chinese economy is recovering. Do you buy it? Yes, Brian. Well, I think at this point, look, um, as you mentioned, a lot of this data is coming out still in drips and drabs, but it is fairly encouraging, particularly on that travel front. So those rail trips that you mentioned up uh, compared to a similar period in 2023, we've also seen a bit of encouragement out of some initial data on road trips, uh, trips by plane during the holiday. All of that tells us that people are definitely traveling more over this Lunar New Year season than they were in 2023. Now, one uh, caveat to that is that even though all of the pandemic curbs in China were pretty much gone by this point in 2023, there was still a really, really big outbreak of coronavirus infections at that time. So that might have hampered travel just a little bit. But that does give us some encouragement there. You mentioned the Meituan data. I will say that there's um, uh, spending broadly does seem to be up this year, though. We've seen um, some middling data when it comes to box office ticket sales, for example. So we calculated just looking at um, some data from Maoyan Entertainment, which they released some ticket sales data um, showing us that spending was kind of on par with 2023 through the first few days of uh, this year's box office ticket sales. It's a big thing, you know, as people are kind of traveling around seeing movies with their family. Um, That indicates to us that maybe uh, it, it might be that spending per trip from the Chinese consumers actually not um, necessarily keeping tra- pace with the um, the rate of travel that they're doing. That's a phenomenon that we saw last year where people are still traveling. They're just not spending as much money. So mm-hmm. I think we've still got more to see, but it's it's a bit of a mixed bag, but I'd say overall kind of encouraging. I'm wondering about prices. We talk a lot about the deflationary pressure building in the Chinese economy. I mean, it's something that's been happening on the wholesale level for quite some time, more than a year. It's been showing up for the last uh, many months on the retail side. Are consumers paying less now? Yeah. Yes, they're active, they're spending, but are prices down relative to where they have been? 
Yeah, it does kind of seem that way. And I think, you know, the issue with the deflationary, the threat of a deflationary spiral is that prices continue to fall, or at least consumers expect prices to continue to fall. And so they hold off on spending any more money because they're saving for that continued downward trend in prices. I think we're still seeing a bit of that as a, as a, as a threat that's looming over the Chinese economy right now. What you'd really hope is for people to start picking up more spending on um, durable goods in particular. I think one of the problems uh, that we're still dealing with right now, and now remember, even over the Lunar New Year period, people are maybe spending on tourism and they're going places and they're spending out on you know restaurants and dining and everything like that. But uh, good sales, I think, are still fairly weak. I mean, if you looked at um, especially in uh, sales such as um, you know cars and things like that, mm. um, and uh, so I mean that's still a, a concern in China right now. It's important to have these early indicators and look at these numbers because if you look at the official data, it may not show up as um, you know a pickup in growth or activity because of course the factories are all closed. And so those numbers would be dismal. And then you have to take January and February together and average it out. But I'll, I'll raise one point that if you wait too long, if you're an investor, um, well, look at trip.com. This is one of the premium Chinese companies and it had struggled for a long time. In the first week of December, it was at 260. Now it's at 320. And we haven't even had trading in a week in China. So there are some uh, there are some other indicators that are telling you that that business is picking up. How long do you think we have to wait, Jill, until it's kind of confirmed? I mean, to actually confirm it, it's probably going to take until, you know, we're getting into the second quarter, if not toward the, you know, the, the second half of the year. I mean, it does take a while for these things to come into play. I think the other thing, too, that really complicates this Lunar New Year season is that it's a really late Lunar New Year this year. I mean, we're getting into the middle, if not the, the back half of February. As compared to last year, for example, it was, you know, fairly early in the year, still in January. So that's another complicating factor is that, you know, when you talk about these two months that are kind of smushed together, that creates all of this noise in the data, it's really not until we get into to March that we start to get away from this very complicated period to even gauge activity in. So last question very quickly. Could there be some type of policy response before the equity market opens on Monday? I was reading a little bit of chatter on the M Live blog talking about whether or not, uh, or questioning whether or not there would be a reduction in the one-year FLM, um, MLF, I'm sorry, over the weekend. Is that likely? It, it's it's possible. I think most economists think they might hold pat this month, although Bloomberg Economics is forecasting a cut. You have to remember that the um, uh, MLF rate was held uh, in January, which was quite a surprise to most in the market. So maybe they do make a cut. I will say, though, that uh, the central bank did just uh, trim the reserve requirement ratio for major banks, freeing up some liquidity. There's also this big um, uh, National People's Congress legislative meeting at the beginning of March. So, um, you know, they might want to hold off until we actually get clear of some of these key events before they make a major policy move again. All right, Jill, thanks very much for joining us. Jill Desis, Bloomberg China EcoGov editor here in our Hong Kong bureau. The Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Get to our guest, Gareth Nicholson, CIO and Head of Discretionary Portfolio Management at Nomura International Wealth Management. Gareth, thanks very much for joining us. So when you speak to uh, your managers and actually to clients, um, what are you telling them about the, the best options at the moment for deploying fresh capital? Uh, well, 
I mean, if, if you think about it, equities just done phenomenally. This has been a great year. And, uh, and uh, for, for cash at the moment, there's really there's the barbell approach. You've got a lot of investors that are still heavily weighted in uh, money markets, $6 trillion and counting. Uh, and you have a lot of investors that are heavily skewed towards U.S. equity, which continues to do too well. Um, our case is to, to work on the margins. We still think the U.S. economy is, is solid, but we think the the cream on the top is starting to uh, look a little bit off. Uh, we, we really do think you want to take some of that off and you want to diversify out into other places. Other places from the risk perspective would be Asia, particularly Japan. We do think uh, Nikkei 225, 40,000 is on the cards. Uh, we do like Korea. We do like uh, Indonesia of the elections, another space that's very attractive. And, and India still remains the, the darling which we think will be supported by the politics. So on the, the risk, riskier side, the equity side, uh, it's uh, using the money that uh, has potentially got too much concentration uh, and looking to diversify into other growth areas. And then on the other side, the, uh, the more money markets, the, uh, you know, some people say they may have missed out, but you know, you've been paid 5% to be patient, to wait. We think that needs to start uh, evolving a little bit. Uh, we, we see some opportunities um, to stop buying some duration uh, tactically, given that this rates volatility is crazy. No one knows where Treasury is going. I don't think Treasury knows where Treasury is going. Um, so when it's up and down like that, let's play the ball. Let's, uh, let's keep interested there uh, and start building a position. So very active in the fixed income and the equity, it's fine in the spaces where we want to buy and hold. So you don't seem to be too optimistic that we're going to get uh, the type of rate cuts maybe that the market had been anticipating. Look, the, the market had 140 uh, rate cuts, 140 basis points in December. That has come down massively. We've been sitting on four rate cuts for the year in 2024. Now we've reduced it down to three. The market is getting uh, very close to where we are. And I think that has been the opportunity. It's been this, this uh, divergence in thoughts between the market and the Fed. Now when you get down to the fact that the market is agreeing with the Fed, they have to reprice their assumptions that, wow, okay, rates higher for longer, who's sensitive to rates, uh, where do we want to move our money? So I think we're in a stage of real repricing around assets that are sensitive to rates. And you've seen that with flows. You're seeing uh, more money going into investment grade uh, as the, these yields are you know, moving up a little bit. You're seeing money coming out of equities. Uh, and, and this is a, a stage where that kind of divergence of thought is, is now mm. coming all together. Gareth, you talked about uh, deploying capital into Japan and into other parts of Asia. Um, w would that be along the lines of the themes of AI, the, the area that has grown so much in, in U.S. trading? It hasn't really advanced as much uh, outside of the U.S. Uh, or would you, would you go with you know, other, other pockets of strength in the economy? I think there's two points, and I would definitely want to touch on the AI side. Um, AI has been the latest wave of, of kind of uh, uh, positive uh, tailwinds for the U.S. And, and this trade has been phenomenal. What we're saying is we still like the U.S., but there's just arguably too much concentration. So when we move to the next high conviction trade, we still like the idea of a semiconductor recovery in Asia. We still like the idea of AI growing a lot of value. The difference within Asia is most of the production of the, the chain is actually done in Asia. Um, and a lot of the uh, initiative, a lot of the embracing of this technology, we, we see Asia as a space that is on the forefront. And if you imagine it's like, uh, you know, the refrigerator being the, uh, the AI equivalent when they invented the refrigerator, that was a very uh, you know, innovative technology. Coca-Cola used the refrigerator really to uh, enhance its product. We're 
we see Japan and the rest of Asia look to use AI to really enhance the use of this. So the next kind of iteration uh, we feel is going to come from uh, uh, from this part of the world. Uh, we think the whole supply chain is here. We don't have huge champions like they do in the U.S. Um, and we think we're going to see development from a lower base in the side and, and really gain. So to us, this is a still exciting space uh, where there's a lot of room to grow. No doubt about it. I mean, and I think the market uh, joins in on the enthusiasm that you may have. I mean, look at NVIDIA, even look at ARM. We were talking about this phenomenal rally in shares of ARM earlier in the week. I'm curious to to get your perspective on what clients are telling you. Are they concerned at all? Are they expressing any level of unease with what's happening? Maybe you have to consider like the geopolitics of what we're dealing with these days when when addressing uncertainty. But is there a level of nervousness that you're picking up on? I think there is uh, to the point that we're seeing this this barbell approach. People are potentially taking out some of the, the, the sectors that they can't see the tailwinds and putting it into a, a cash or a lower volatility, earn the income while you wait. At the same time, they're saying on the other side of that, I don't want to miss out on the themes I'm very convicted in. Uh, and, and they're investing. So we still see flows going into Japan quite aggressively. We still see flows going into EM. I mean, it was a record uh, a record week last week. Um, at the same time, cash is now up at, at record levels. So there is a there is a, a, a case for hedging your bets, a case for having that liquidity in the short term. They're still getting paid to be able to react if we do see further pain, geopolitics or, or the like. But at the same time, they don't want to miss out too much. Uh, so I think it's instead of all being in, it's about spreading it. Yeah, you almost wonder whether now, more than other times, uh, uh, you're getting paid to be a good stock picker uh, rather than just go with passive investing. Because if you look at these charts, I was just looking at TSMC. I mean, it's it's parabolic as well, and it, it hasn't even seen anywhere near the gains of of uh, NVIDIA and, and some of the other uh, companies in this space. Um, do you have to be a stock picker here, or can you, can you average it out and go with an index fund uh, in some of these markets you prefer? To be honest, in Asia, it's always about stock picking. The indices are not as uh, developed or as broad as you see uh, in the West. So you really are picking a few uh, uh, a few champions. Um, and that's kind of the driver. So different regions within Asia have their, their specialities, have their champions. So going straight to those names makes a lot more sense. Uh, so that's why uh, in this part of the world, particularly uh, um, even in Japan, we want to go into the sectors. We want to go into the specific companies. Definitely agree with you. Stock picking is the way forward in this environment where you've got so much uh, value already baked in. Um, that was last year. Right the way this year is select the specific one you want to stand up on the board. Uh, are there opportunities that you're seeing in China that market's been so badly beaten? Uh, is it time to test the water? Well, China, as you said, it's been an extremely uh, messy storm for some time. Uh, we believe we're actually, if you keep with the picture of the storm, uh, we're in the eye of the storm. So there is a, a, a small sweet spot where tactically, be that uh, uh, weeks over months, uh, you can buy into the China story and uh, uh, you can do well. We've been calling this for the last couple of weeks, and you're actually starting to see inflows come into China through ETFs and, uh, uh, and other okay, buying. So, um, and so can you give me the address of that sweet spot? <laughs> Uh, well, that is the biggest problem is the sweet spot is pretty small and we don't think it's going to last for too long. Um, so we okay. really want to find the space that we're going to see 10, 15 percent right. up. I'm just, and then I'm just toying with you, Gareth. Thank you so much for joining us out of time. But good session. Gareth Nicholson from Nomura International Wealth Management. This is Bloomberg. 
The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Joining us in our studios is Helen Jew, Managing Director and CIO of NF Trinity. With a look at markets and a look at China, we didn't mention in the data check there that China remains closed today. It is still the Lunar New Year holiday. Helen, we're getting a little bit more anecdotal evidence of, of China's economy and the recovery. The Shanghai Securities News with a story today saying that average spending on May Tuan uh, jumped more than 155% during the Chinese New Year from the same period of 2019. So that's pre-pandemic levels. It's just uh, anecdotal in nature, but in your own channel checks, is the Chinese economy starting to recover? I think it's still probably a little bit too early to say that we're firmly on the road of recovery. Um, I think the base effects are getting a little bit easier, for sure. Um, so we do have some promise and hope going into the next few months, and we do expect more policy action as well. But um, so far, what we're seeing is more of like a landing rather than a meaningful recovery, I would have to say. Uh, for Chinese New Year specifically, I think because so many families have not been reunited for the past few years because of COVID, including even last year, right, because COVID was just kind of phasing out back then. So so I think there's a little bit of like revenge consumption during this Chinese New Year versus uh, previous seasons. So what might that policy response look like? And may it happen before the equity market opens on Monday of next week? Well, you know, I think these types of things uh, will probably take time to play out. Uh, we have already seen a number of interest rate cuts, RR cuts, and so on and so forth. And so I think more of that is possible, but it's not really going to be sufficient to really um, get confidence back on track. So um, I think what we're looking for over the coming few months or, you know, uh, weeks or, you know, maybe leading up to the People's Congress in March uh, would be both the combination of cyclical as well as hopefully some kind of announcements regarding structural reforms as well. The cyclical could be monetary. It could be fiscal, could be property, liquidity alleviation, could be short-term consumption policies, etc. But I think what's more important is to get people to feel like uh, this period of deflation and de-risking and de-leverage and um, you know, prioritizing these types of objectives is behind us and that we're firmly on the path of reflation, recovery, and reforms. I think that's where the market needs to rebuild its confidence, and that'll be a gradual process. We did a survey of economists, uh, and and basically, the result was that the PBOC will likely uh, leave its one-year policy loan steady at 2.5%, um, uh, possibly as soon as this Sunday. And the suggestion is that the PBOC uh, is doing so uh, to wait till things stabilize a little bit and support the yuan. Do they need to support the yuan, or is money still trying to flee that currency? I think at the current juncture, they are still uh, in the process of supporting the RMB, um, and that's basically because the U.S. dollar has continued to be quite strong. Um, you've seen the DXY rebound from 100 to almost 105 recently, so you know, kind of back to like a mini cycle high, and that's because inflation in the U.S. has been hotter than expected, and uh, economic data has been fairly robust as well. Uh, but it's really just a delay rather than a you know change in the fundamental uh, picture. Um, we are still expecting the Fed to start to cut rates probably around the middle of this year. 
year, and that means that um, you will have some kind of um, deviation in terms of uh, uh, Fed's yields versus the rest of the world. So um, I do think that the dollar will start to weaken again uh, going into the coming months, and that's going to be more helpful for the RMB as well as other EM currencies. But for the time being, there is definitely still more depreciation pressure and outflow pressure. So I think the PBOC still has to intervene from time to time. I'm going to go out on a limb here. We got the, the news on Japan going into a recession with a contraction in fourth quarter GDP at four-tenths of one percent. One of the things we learned that both households and businesses cut spending. And I'm wondering whether or not you see the possibility of what's happening in China having had some modest impact on uh, the Japanese economy. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's possible because, indeed, the Japanese economy is very external-facing, um, and so less demand coming from China, particularly for industrial manufacturing, automation, et cetera, that certainly hasn't been helpful for um, a lot of Japan enterprises. But, you know, the similar type of trends from elsewhere may have been a bit more robust versus what we've seen coming from China. Um, I think for Japan specifically, I'm not too worried about the headline, um, you know, small kind of um, technical recession in the second half of last year. First of all, I think this year we'll have positive real GDP growth. And secondly, I think Japan's been a lot more about nominal GDP and reflation. So mm. even if real GDP is only low single digit, nominal GDP has been like 5% last year. And that's been incredible, right? It's been phenomenal for revenues and earnings and st- the stock market. So, so so Helen, I think of you as an economist, but but you are the chief investment officer at NF Trinity uh, so and a managing director. So what should I do with my money? Should I continue to buy you know these big mega cap tech stocks? in the U.S.? Should I go for a broadening? Should I go with Japan and sort of ride the gains there or take a punt on China? What? Um, I think at some point this year, we're going to see an inflection point come across. Um, I don't know when exactly that is, but things are getting a little bit extreme in terms of the current positioning, which is long U.S., long U.S. dollar, long tech, long Japan. Those are the consensus trades for the last six to 12 months. And I think the positioning valuations and expectations are all getting fairly stretched. At some point, we will see the U.S. economy start to weaken, the Fed go into a rate cut cycle, the dollar start to weaken, and that's going to benefit a lot of other stuff. You wonder if emerging markets could do well, but then China is not really carrying the flag there. So, Helen, we're out of time, unfortunately. Thanks, Helen Chu from NF Trinity. This is Bloomberg. This has been the Bloomberg Daybreak Asia podcast, bringing you the stories making news and moving markets in the Asia Pacific. Visit the Bloomberg podcast channel on YouTube to get more episodes of this and other shows from Bloomberg. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen, and always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.